0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney
1: hello and welcome to showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney my co-host eric raskin i am Kieran mulvaney and eric i need to share some news with you um i should have mentioned this last week uh, but i did need to get some clarification about the situation uh, as you almost certainly know sag after the actors' union on strike uh as you may also know i am a member of sag after um it is okay for me to podcast during the strike uh but i am afraid that i won't be laughing at any of your jokes as that does in fact require me to act <laughs> so if i laugh word will get out and Danny Trejo will come over and break my hands. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to cross Danny Trejo, uh, <laughs> who, who had a brief, memorable
0: arc on a little show called Breaking Bad, um, a show that all people in the world I respect have watched. Uh, but uh, That's but I digress. <laughs> It's quite good. We'll talk about it some other time. Uh, but certainly
1: uh, not as good as Twin Peaks: The Return. I know that much.
0: <laughs> See, you you corner me when we're you, by putting <laughs> a, a Showtime property while we're so I can't really say anything bad about Twin Peaks: The Return. I'm changing the subject. You can't.
1: No <laughs> one can. not
0: Well, <laughs> again, um, as for for you uh, not laughing, uh, this is fine. I actually prefer it this way because you know now if you laugh. I'll know it's genuine. I won't have to wonder if you're faking it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm picturing you being like uh, Elaine as I ask you about various jokes I've cracked over the years on the podcast and you're just going down the line, fake, 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 fake. fake. fake, and I, fake. I, I, don't, I don't really want to know. So, uh, But anyway, do you, do you want to uh, quickly remind our listeners of why you're in SAG-AFTRA? Uh, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I have to be, um, simply because uh, I made a couple of appearances on HBO broadcasts and HBO had a deal with uh, SAG-AFTRA where, you know, you could be on the HBO broadcast once without actually joining okay. the, the union. And then I think it was when I went to Russia right. to, um, to interview, to to cover the Sergei kovalev isaac Chalemba fight. Uh, then I had to join. It. And it's kind of funny because, well, funny, <laughs> not funny at all. Because when Certainly you join. Certainly not Saga, funny enough to make you fake laugh, whatever it is. Ah, oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, although I'm saying it, so I'm allowed to probably do that as opposed to you saying probably. it. Probably. Check with, check with SAG right. on, on, on I'll, how I'll that works. Check, check I'll check with Danny. Right. Um, Danny's still at home, I think, so I'm good so far. Okay. But yes, yeah, so um, when you join SAG afterward, there's obviously an annual membership fee, but there's also. Uh, One time sort of initiation fee, Mm. which was actually almost exactly the amount that I got paid Mm. to go to Russia and interview Sergei Kovalev and Isaac Chalemba after their fight in Ekaterinburg. So I, I basically, I mean, I went to Russia for free really that was like I guess right you know I guess that was it I just I didn't get a profit out of it or anything but but you know I do still get I get screeners during awards time and that's basically
0: so you're you're paying your annual dues and all you're getting in return is the
1: opportunity (laughs) to see
0: screeners for free given
1: that my tv career seems to have dried up before it even got the chance to get moist then yes (laughs) Ah, uh, well. Such is life. Yes, but... Uh, first world problems personified. I
0: suppose so. But if Danny Trejo comes after you, that's more than just a first world problem. That's a serious problem. We
1: don't want that's that. A, that's a very, very big problem. Nobody wants that problem. Um, it is fight week. Hopefully not Danny Trejo versus Kira because that <laughs> won't be much of a fight. <laughs> no. uh, what a fight week we really do have, actually. On Tuesday in Tokyo, Japan, uh, Stephen Fulton defends his 122 pound belts against Naoya, the monster in a way. Uh, in what should be a fantastic matchup, but that's just the amuse-bouche, if you will. Uh, on Saturday, Terence Crawford and Errol Spence clash for the undisputed Welterweight Championship of the World live on Showtime pay-per-view from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. We will be podcasting from Vegas on Thursday and Friday, uh, and instead of a Monday pod next week, we will have an immediate post-fight reflection pod on Saturday night. But before we hit the road, we have one more regularly scheduled podcast for you and this is it. Uh, later on, I will count down my top five welterweight champions of all time. Eric will hit me with a fight game challenge. we we'll look at what's been a fairly quiet week of boxing news. But first, let's get right to it, Eric as we break
0: down Saturday's big card. Yeah, the fight we have spent the last several years waiting for above all others is suddenly almost upon us as Errol Spence and his Beautiful, perfect record of 28-0, 22 KOs, takes on Terrence Crawford with his equally beautiful, perfect record of 39-0, 30 KOs, for the right to be called undisputed welterweight champion. This is clearly the highest quality fight of the year and is probably, at least on paper, the best fight at the absolute elite level of the sport in several years. And it continues a tradition of major fights, massive events in the welterweight division, one of boxing's original eight weight classes, and still one of the marquee divisions. If you look back at the last 50 years or so, other than heavyweight, no weight class has provided more of the biggest and most highly anticipated matchups, including some major unification bouts. Uh, So, Kieran, first topic here I want to get your insights on. Help us place this fight in historical context on a scale of... Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao to Corey Spinks versus Ricardo Mayorga. How significant is this fight in the annals of the welterweight division, on paper at least? Uh, And later on in the podcast, uh, you will give us your list of the top five welterweight champions of all time. I'm assuming neither Spence nor Crawford is presently on that list, but sort of crystallizing what's at stake here legacy-wise, how likely do you think it'll be that Saturday's winner will be on a future version of that list?
1: So first of all, it is, of course, the most significant welterweight fight in eight years since we were the Pacquiao. And it's one of the most significant fights, period, in that time. I mean, up there with, say, Fury Wilder and Canelo Golovkin, it's right up there. Um, Welterweight history, though, that's a tough one. Um, There's been just a remarkable number of big welterweight fights and unifications over this past half century or so. You know, we're talking Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, one and two, Leonard Hearns, uh, Don Curry, Milton McCrory, Oscar De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad, Whitaker Chavez. Um, Let's assume that no fight is going to touch Mayweather Pacquiao for significance for a very, very long time, at least. Um, And although I wasn't old enough really to grasp the extent of hype for Leonard against Duran or Hearns, I'll go ahead and posit that those are special cases and situations that were also unlikely to replicate anytime soon given that that was that was truly the modern golden age of boxing and and top boxers were genuinely household names and boxing was on right. network television and everybody knew about Sugar Ray Leonard before he'd even turned pro um so there's a difference between significant and biggest right um in terms of its significance It feels on one level a little like Donald Curry, Milton McCrory, you know, two welterweight title holders clashing, but it's bigger than that. It feels bigger than that. I think that Crawford and Spence are both better than Curry and McCrory, even though at the time it seemed like Curry was possibly going to be a a great. It just feels bigger and more meaningful to me. And I think it also means more to boxing because, you know, the whole notion that the best never fight the best anymore just isn't true. But the sheer infrequency with which top boxes fight now does mean that big fights are inevitably rarer, right? Right. Um, Except apparently this year. Um, So in that sense, it's sort of more significant than than a lot of those that have gone before. I I guess there's no direct comparison. The fighters are different. The times are different. The media landscape is different. The sport and the way it's covered are different. If these two men had a habit of being on social media and were desperate for likes and attention, who couldn't stay out of the limelight, um, this might be a a bigger event, but they aren't. Um, They're boxers, and and that's what they do. And um, so its bigness must rest on its significance. And and I think it's to the credit of both guys and their qualities and their abilities. But I think it still ranks pretty damn high, despite that. It, It feels... In terms of significance, if not necessarily bigness, gosh it's honestly it feels close to deloya Trinidad levels honestly um yeah. and if it if it falls short of the excitement and anticipation of that matchup, it's only because of those extra factors. you know Deloya was a massive crossover star, Trinidad was huge in Puerto Rico and and that had the added factor of Bob Aram and Don King going up against each other, but in terms of significance. To the sport I, th- I think we're looking at that kind of level and that's really really high um and, and i and i don't think it's overhyping it to say that i think this is a big deal this fight yeah um as for whether either man will break into a future all-time wealth-weight list the biggest problem is perhaps that the bulk of their achievements at 147 pounds are already behind them in terms of quantity at least if not necessarily quality both men are in their 30s and after dispensing of each other, there might not be too many challenges left. I I guess the best bet would be if the winner sticks around to face and beat Boots Ennis, um, Amantis Danionis, Virgil Ortiz, if he's able to continue his career. You know, if they were able to prove that they weren't just the best of their generation, but they they were better than the next generation too, that would be pretty significant, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say, without providing too many spoilers for my list, one of the things that a couple of the folks on that list had going for them is they fought a lot. Right. And we see Crawford or spent once a year if we're lucky. We might see him twice a year if, they, if there's a rematch. Um, when you look at the welterweights who are generally considered to be great welterweights who didn't fight very much, you're talking about guys like Ray Leonard and Floyd Mayweather, and those right. are tough names. So it will be very, very difficult to get on like an all-time list but that's more a a testament to the quality of fighters in the welterweight division over boxing's history what it will do and this is the important thing is it will solidify the winner as the greatest welterweight of his generation and honestly that's the only thing either man can control and it's the best that any fighter can aim for realistically right so um but look as you mentioned at the top this is a fight we've been awaiting a long long time um i was just looking at an article entitled Terence Crawford, Errol Spence, The Welterweight Classic We May Never See, written by Michael Woods, posted on 22nd of October 2018. So if it hasn't quite reached Mayweather Pacquiao levels of marination, it isn't a million miles off. So two-part question for you. Is this nonetheless, and we've touched upon this a little bit before, is this nonetheless the best time for them to meet? And does the delay put extra pressure on either guy to come away with a win, given that they now have less time ahead of them to make up for a loss.
0: I will say, uh, even though, sure, we were beginning to want it in 2018, it, it didn't really feel like a must until more like yeah. 2021 or so. Um, yeah. When Woodsy wrote that article, Spence had be- beaten Kelbrook, Lamont Peterson, and Carlos Acampo, his last three fights. He was establishing himself as maybe the highest ceiling guy at 147, um, clearly an elite talent, but he hadn't yet beaten anyone perceived to be at the very top. So he himself was by no means the man. It wasn't until he narrowly beat Sean Porter in 2019 that he had an elite welterweight on his resume. Then he beat Danny Garcia in December 2020, and it's like... Okay, now it's clear, Spence and Crawford, that would determine who's the man, although Crawford actually hadn't beat, beaten any all-that-great fighters at 147 yet, to be honest. He had proven himself at 135 and 140, but for him, it really wasn't until he also beat Porter in, in November 2021 that it reached the point of, it will be nauseating if boxing finds a way not to make <laughs> Spence Crawford. Um So, you know, obviously, I would have loved to see this fight in 2019, 2020, whatever. But it wouldn't have been a huge event until 2021 or 2022. So that's a long way of saying this isn't far off from the absolute best time for them Uh. to meet. I'd say the, the true peak perfect time would have been summer of 2022, basically just after we interviewed Bud at the Hall of Fame. And and Mm -hmm. he said that he thought it was close. And, you know, Spence had just beaten Ugas and and proven that the car accident didn't have any lingering effects other than making him worry that his false teeth were coming out when his mouth guard (laughs) came out, as we learned on All Access. Um, So, you know, one year ago, I guess that would have been preferable to right now because they were one year younger. But otherwise, I'd say this is... The next best time for them to meet this this isn't may happening in 2015 this is like if may happened in 2012 before manny mm. got iced by marquez um as for the delay putting more pressure on one of them to get a win naturally you'd say that's the case for bud because he's older because he's 35 um in theory his prime should be ending soon um, if he loses, yeah, there's a rematch likely, so he should get a second chance. But I would say he can afford a loss less than Spence because Spence is a bit younger at 33. And Spence, if he loses, if he doesn't push for a rematch, he can just move up to 154 and start a second run. Um, but look, bottom line, we're talking about legacy a lot with this fight. Um, they both need the win badly to have a case to being, as you were pointing out. The the best of their era, again, unless it's close and there's a rematch and a rubber match. And so it it can possibly it's possible that this single fight doesn't determine who reigns supreme, but it goes a long way. And there is a reason Derek James told us we don't use the L word. Uh, Neither side is okay with losing this fight. That much is clear um let's look quickly at some x's and o's um we aren't going to make our predictions on this podcast we'll save those for our final pre-fight pod after the weigh-in on friday since you know how can you accurately make a call in a fight until you've seen both guys in their underwear uh but uh let me ask you this kieran what do you see as the biggest x factor in this matchup what are you going to be looking for early on to get a sense of which way this fight is likely to go
1: So there's one obvious one in that respect, and I feel a bit hesitant about choosing it because it is almost an obvious one, and it's repeated so often that it's become conventional wisdom, and conventional wisdom often gets turned on its head with fights like this. It's one that we raised with Bud during that Hall of Fame interview. It's something that Bomac brought up when we spoke to him the other week. It's the notion that once Errol finds something that works for him in a fight, he sticks with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bud has the greater flexibility and fluidity and ability to change things up. Um, it's perhaps an oversimplification. Even Bud said that to us, that, we, to, that we, he thought we were being a bit harsh on, on Errol. Uh, um, but I do think on one level, it's something that team Crawford is expecting and it does sort of match what we've seen over the years. You know, K- Spence is capable of doing a few things exceptionally well whereas Crawford does give that impression that he's able to constantly switch to search consistently for that extra edge, that new approach. Um, But like I said, even though there's reason to believe in that, the fact that it has become established wisdom gives me pause a little bit. Look, Spence and Derek James are obviously well aware of what people say in that regard, and they're not idiots, to put it mildly. Um, So I guess, you know, in terms of what to look for and what I'm going to be looking for, I think given that Bud can be a slow starter... What I might do if I were in Spence and Derek's position, which I'm clearly not, um, is, ma- is to try to come out hard early, You know, maybe with something unexpected. Mm. Um, they think we're only going to do this one thing or this, these two things. Let's do, let's do this third thing. Throw Crawford off a little bank, a couple of early rounds, and then when Crawford adjusts to that, switch back to something else, perhaps what you'd plan to do in the first place. Mm. I think that Spence needs to force Crawford to adapt to him. I, an early Spence lead doesn't guarantee a Spence victory, but I think it's important for him to get one. I think if if, if Crawford comes out early and stakes himself to an early lead, I do think it's probably going to be harder for Spence to adapt to him. So I guess that's the thing I'm looking for. Right. Who gets a good start? Uh, I, I do think a good start could be important here. And given that they're theoretically so closely matched, if anyone is able to rattle off two three rounds in a row to start the fight, that's going to be awfully hard for the other guy to, to catch up. But I, but I do think that a good start is more important for Spence because what I think the X factor is here, Crawford's tremendous ability to adapt. Right. Um, but let me ask you for a less broad piece of analysis. Um, looking at our friend Steve Farwood's notes for this fight, I was struck by one interesting piece of information. So Spence will be the first southpaw that Crawford has faced since Julius Ndongo eight fights and six years ago. And while Crawford is a switch hitter, in his five most recent fights, he's fought 77% Southpaw and 23% righty. So for the purposes of this discussion point, let's call him a Southpaw too. Yeah. Well, what do you know? Spence's most recent Southpaw opponent was Chris Van Heerden in 2015. So it hasn't been discussed much, um, but is this one key to this fight? about how well each man adjusts to, to to facing a lefty. Does this suggest we can assume that Crawford will come out southpaw and do less switching than normal? Yeah, I mean, definitely one key to this fight will be how each handles
0: the rare challenge of, of facing a southpaw. Um, certainly Bud will be spending a lot of time in the southpaw stance, as he always does. Like Boots Ennis, he's just playing more dangerous as a southpaw, even if he usually mm. starts out orthodox. But you ask, will he come out Southpaw based on, I guess, Spence not being very used to fighting against Southpaws? I don't know. Uh, a guy named Marvelous Marvin Hagler very famously <laughs> overthought which stance he should be in when he took on Sugar Ray Leonard and his slow start cost him the fight. I don't know that Butt will be overthinking it. Um, we'll see, but I- I'll make a prediction now that uh, – uh, is one of those kind of predictions that could be proven wrong one second into the fight, which is
1: very <laughs> early
0: in a fight for me to start getting things wrong. But um, I would predict he'll come out orthodox and, and probably stay in that stance for the first round as he typically does. Mm. Eventually though, he certainly will go south by and then largely stay there because I do imagine he'll be more effective that way. Um, you know, th- this is, such a fascinating matchup. It really is. Yeah. Um, when we were on Morning Combat last time we were in Vegas and uh, Brian Campbell was tossing out uh, this category, that court category, who has the edge, um, this is all stuff that we can analyze in, in more detail when we're out there in Vegas, maybe on our Friday pick segment. But um, I just got thinking about uh, sort of quick responses on, on all these, and I was like, jab, Spence. Uh, inside fighting, somewhat surprisingly, also Spence. Versatility and unpredictability, definitely Crawford. Defense, Crawford. Footwork, Crawford. Starting fast, as you were talking about, Spence, undoubtedly. Uh, making adjustments, again, you were mentioning that, certainly Crawford. Body punching, Spence. Chin, I have no idea. Hopefully we find yeah. out. Um, so, I don't know. I, I'll save some stuff for Vegas. But y- you can see just what a fascinating matchup it is. And and whereas we were both correctly picking Tank over Garcia for nearly every category. This one, it's closer to half and half. So I, I, I broken record repeating these words over and (laughs) over, but I can't wait for this. I really (laughs) can't. All right, let's uh, quickly go through the rest of the card. Uh, As we mentioned last week, the undercard's gone through some changes. The one fight that remains the same is the co-main, a lightweight battle between Isak Cruz, who is 24-2-1 with 17 KOs, and Giovanni Cabrera who is undefeated at 21 and 0, seven knockouts. Kieran, when this fight was first announced, you said you were pretty excited by it. Why is that and and, and what can folks expect here?
1: So I'm excited cuz I'm expecting a closely contested action fight that should be an intriguing clash of styles. Um Cruz at this point, we know him well. Uh he's an all-action fighter. He comes to put a hurting on you. Um Cabrera is a very different style very different style um he fights a up, right? he's a southpaw he's very much not a b- volume puncher um he's more of an old school type boxer he'll stay on the outside he'll look for an opening he'll look to spear you as he come forward and then turn you he's got some old school tricks in there too if you come in close and he isn't ready to launch a punch he'll, he'll push you off with his shoulder and turn you he's got some very nice footwork um even though he's only got seven knockouts, he has enough pop to give his opponents pause. See, so he dropped Gabe Flores Jr. inside seven seconds last year, although he ended up having to be content with a, with a decision win. Um, he's faced and beaten seven previously undefeated fighters. Uh, he's from Chicago, but he's relocated to Southern California to train with Freddie Roach. And by the way, if you want to feel old, he says he got into boxing after watching Manny Pacquiao Miguel Cotto. <laughs> wow. Um, there is a chance notwithstanding my excitement about it there is a chance that this fight turns a little bit stinky and if it does that means Cabrera is probably winning because he's simply neutralizing Cruz's offense there is also a chance Cruz just blasts through him um, and doesn't allow Cabrera to settle into the patient game that he likes it's the unknowns here and the the, just the, the contrasts between the way that each man is going to approach this fight, that I really, really like about it. Um, we've already previewed one of the fights on this card, not because we're super efficient, but because it was originally slated for uh, the last Showtime Championship boxing broadcast. It is bantamweight action between Nonito Donaire, who is 42 and 7 with 28 KOs, and Alexandra Santiago, who is 27, 3 and 5 with 14 KOs. Um, rather than reanalyze it, uh, Eric, quick question for you. Who do you think is more likely to benefit or suffer least from the two-week delay in this fight, particularly given that, as you mentioned last week, they would have been so close to peaking at the time that the date change was made? Well, first, I'll note that we will be making new
0: picks on this fight on Friday. Previous picks are voided. Uh, We get to try again post-weigh-in. The weigh-in will be interesting here. It'll be telling whether either guy looks drained, uh, how much energy they appear to have. My gut response to your question is to say that the two-week delay is potentially bad for the older guy, the 40-year-old mm-hmm. man, Donaire. Uh, your body just doesn't bounce back as well as you get older, as we both know well. Uh, and uh, yes. Donaire has been all over the scale throughout his career. Everything was calibrated to be at 118 on July 14th. Yeah. Now he has to be at 118 on July 28th. I'm not saying it will be an issue, but... I just think logically it's more likely it's an issue for him than for a young guy like Santiago. So Mm. we'll see how they look at the weigh-in. But you'll recall that two weeks ago, I had gone with the mild upset as my pick, Santiago by decision. So I would say it is unlikely that I would flip over to Donaire now with the extra two-week delay uh but again we'll see how they look at the weigh-in and um yeah not much more to say about this fight we pretty much said it all two weeks ago yeah. so uh let's get to the bout that opens the pay-per-view broadcast a contracted 156 pound bout between sergio garcia 34 and 2 with 14 knockouts and joanes Teyes, 5-0 and with four stoppage wins Kieran, Garcia was originally scheduled to face Jesus Ramos, and uh, much like Cruz Cabrera, you were enthusiastic about that matchup. What can you tell us about Tevez? Are you still enthusiastic with Ramos injured and Teez taking his place?
1: Um, if I'm slightly less enthusiastic, it's only because if I'm not yet completely on the Jesus Ramos hype train, I'm at least standing at the ticket window ready to book my ride. Um, <laughs> right. I like the look of Jesus Ramos a lot, and, and it was him rather than Garcia that, that, that got me excited about this. And I just simply know less about Tevez. Um He's 5-0 with four KOs. Uh, he turned pro in Russia in 2020 and fought twice there, but he wasn't happy. So he didn't have his third bout until November 2022 after he'd removed himself from his contractual situation in Russia. He hasn't fought anyone with anything close to a winning record. Uh, the records of his five opponents so far have been and 0 He fought a debutant in his debut. Three and one one, two and one, one twenty-one and four, and most recently nineteen twenty-six and three. So, on paper, Garcia's a big step up as he comes into this contest with a thirty-four and two record. But you know, Tejas isn't exactly the first Cuban of late to be moved rapidly through the pro ranks. Um, it's worked very well for David Morell, for example, who's nine and zero and already looks like he could be a, a, a super middleweight champion. It works less well. Pretty well, this Gomez, who right. already appears to be going backward at 6-1. and one. Um, And against that, Garcia's two losses have come when he stepped up against Sebastian Fundora and Tony Harrison. He did go the distance against them both, though, uh, even though he was comfortably outpointed. And he's only been down once in his career. So this is a really good measuring stick of just how good Tejas is. A stoppage win would be really impressive. Honestly, a win of any kind would suggest that he is, in fact, genuinely quality. Um, so I'm more intrigued I think, by this matchup than, than with the original one. But I still think it has a uh, th- an opportunity to be a really enlightening and interesting fight. And, it, you
0: know, it, it occurs to me, just uh, looking at his first name right now, that Yoannis uh, Tellez has the most Philly first name that I've ever heard. Yo, of course, associated <laughs> with Philly. And Ennis, now a, a very uh, key uh, Philly boxing uh, set of letters there. So Ennis uh, and and you laughed there, which means it was genuine. Now I know Almost you found anyway. that you found that amusing, even
1: though arguably yep. it was not amusing at all. Again, this is the point where I say once more, <laughs> this is the kind of analysis you don't get anywhere else. Yes. <laughs> all right, as we hinted at the top, Spence Crawford is the. Most significant fight of the year, uh, at least so far, but it isn't the only big fight of the week. Uh, this will be old hat to you if you're listening any later than Monday. But Tuesday morning in the U.S. at approximately 8 a.m. Eastern, uh, Stephen Fulton and Naoya Inoue will clash at the Ariake Arena in Tokyo, Japan, with the fight streaming on ESPN+. Uh, Fulton's super bantamweight belts are at stake, as are both men's unbeaten records, and also potentially a great deal more. The Transnational Boxing Ratings Board has Inaway number one on its pound-for-pound rankings with Crawford three and Spence four. Um, I would ask you who you think will be top of the list on Sunday, but that might give away your Saturday right. pick. So I guess I'll ask you this. Um, how likely do you think it is that Inaway is still number one on Sunday? And would a clear inaway win on Tuesday mean that that ranking isn't truly on the line when Crawford and Spence enter the ring? I
0: don't think there's any possible level of dominance by Inouye that removes the possibility that the Spence Crawford winner gets the number one spot. But I guess what Inouye can do is make it so that nobody can definitively declare going into Spence Crawford that the winner will be number one if Inouye beats Fulton in style uh, or really if he wins in any sort of way that is not controversial, you know, like even if it's a dull forgettable distance fight as long as it isn't a debatable decision if he puts a legit win over Stephen fulton on his record then any conversation heading into spence crawford where someone says this is to determine the pound for pound champ someone else should jump in there and say eh, not so fast what about in a way um so you know, it it's hard to talk about as we record this Sunday, and some people will hear right. it before Inaway Fulton, but others will hear it uh after Inaway Fulton. Um there there's this big hypothetical that may not be so hypothetical anymore by like nine AM our time Tuesday. But the short right. bottom line is if Fulton beats Inaway, Spence Crawford is for the pound for pound title, basically, unofficially. If Inaway wins there is likely to be room for debate on Sunday. Um, for what it's worth, uh, ESPN coming into all this has Crawford at one, way uh, at two, Spence at four. I personally have way one, Crawford two, Spence three. So let's just pause and say, holy shit, how cool is it that we're about to watch two <laughs> of the top three pound-for-pound fighters go head-to-head? Yeah. Um I'll offer a few quick notes on In Away Fulton, a fight that we shouldn't spend too many minutes of podcast time previewing because of the short shelf life. Um, but I'm tempted to pick the upset, but I can't quite do it. Um uh, my official pick is In Away by Decision. I, I think that's more likely than knockout. And um at the sports books, In Away by Decision was priced, I saw it as high as plus two forty. So so that's my wager uh-huh. on this fight. Um and I'll also note that there's a hand wrap issue that has popped up. Um, Fulton's people saying the way, in a way, layers his wraps is illegal. Tim Bradley on ESPN agreed with that based on what he's seen, that, that they're starting with tape right on the hand, which they shouldn't be allowed to do. So yeah. uh, just uh, something to watch for there. Let's all say a little prayer that it doesn't blow up into something right. that causes Fulton to walk away from the fight at the last second. Um, although I, I will say that, if in a way is having his hands wrapped in some illegal manner, and the commission in Japan isn't stopping him, then I would support Fulton's decision to walk away if that's what happens. But um, hopefully, this is the last word any of us will have to say about this topic, and, and the hand wraps will prove a total non-issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, uh, at the risk of um, you know this this being out of date rapidly, uh, right. I also am tempted, as we record this on Sunday, to go with the uh, with the upset which I think would only actually be a relatively mild upset uh, and I think one of the factors that breadman Edwards was the one who first got me thinking about this when he was on and, and we asked him about this and he almost in passing mentioned the, that Fulton would be the bigger guy in there and that's right. not something you're used to seeing from Stephen Fulton um, and when we've seen in a way have a little bit of trouble was so for example when he first fought Anita Donair who when he moved up to Bantamweight and Donair was used to b- being not only at Bantamweight, but at much higher weights, even than Bantamweight. And, and you could see the size difference there. And obviously it's a very different kind of fighter and a very different kind of fight and so on. But I, that, that's at some point with this being, I think the fourth weight division that in way has been, in, even the monster's going to find a limit here. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you though, about, this being much much more likely to go the distance one way or the other i think it's much much more likely to go the distance and again here we are both gonna look like idiots after somebody starts to listen to this on tuesday morning in the in the uh the wake of a ko2 that everybody's talking about but yeah i'm almost tempted i can't quite pull the trigger on it but i am almost tempted to go with the, the decision too i think this is a terrific fight. I think Fulton's got a real shot here. Um, yeah. I think he'd have a bigger shot if it was in Philly, but I think he's got a real shot here. And yeah. then what does that do to the to pound-for-pound the pound list? Well, that's a whole other discussion <laughs> that we can have on uh, on Thursday in Las Vegas, perhaps.
0: Yes, perhaps. Um, and, you know, perhaps someday Spence versus Crawford or Inouye versus Fulton will be the subject of a guessing game on the world's most beloved boxing podcast. Nice but... segue. I <laughs> hand you my segue crown, sir. Thank you. I am in the segue guild, uh, for the record. I uh, paid my dues for that. Um, so uh, there's, your, there's your segue. The, I'm taking two guesses there that you can cross off your list, Kieran. Uh, it's not Spence Crawford. It's not Inouye Fulton. Are you ready to play the fight game? As ready as I ever am. Okay. Clue number one. This title fight in Atlantic City was a meeting of future Hall of Famers, one elected in 1992 in his first year of eligibility, one in 2015 after many years of
1: eligibility. Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a title fight, did you say? I did
0: say yes. uh, This title fight in Atlantic City. Uh, And then I told you what years they were each elected to the Hall of Fame, 92 and
1: 2015. So presumably. Oh, so not necessarily a big age difference because you said that one had to wait several years. The 2015 fellow had to wait.
0: That is true. Still, that's a lot of years. It is a big gap between their two uh, inductions, yes.
1: And so the fight itself had to have been in no later than 1987. Correct. All of which has helped me not one bit. <laughs> okay. So we've established some parameters. Good first clue, but we've established some parameters, and now we move
0: on. Okay. Second clue here. It's a short one, but uh, provides a lot of information. At the time of the stoppage, the winning fighter led... 125 to 122, 125 to 123, and 127 to 122.
1: Okay, good information. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so it's a 15 rounder.
0: Yes, Detective Mulvaney has uh, deduced one, uh, <laughs> so, one, one detail. So, so brilliant. Um... <laughs> and you should be able to tell me the exact round uh, in which it was stopped. Yeah.
1: So we'd had thirteen completed rounds, so it this stopped is, in the fourteenth. This is correct. Yes. Crikey, this isn't ringing a bell. So, a fourteenth round stoppage in sometime in the eighties.
0: Between two future Hall of Famers in Atlantic City, a title fight. This, these are all the bits of information you have at this point
1: yeah i'm not there
0: okay all right i three. i was thinking uh, i'll just say while i didn't think it was impossible to get it in one or two i was thinking that uh three was most likely where it would click into place so let's see if that's oh correct. way to
1: put the pressure on <laughs> you're like i did the
0: delayed now you better get it move okay but no <laughs> um look if you don't get it in three four makes it even easier and five lays it out on a platter for you but here's three it was the challenger's first title fight. And he came up short, but he succeeded in his next title try seven months later.
1: Really, that's that's that you were thinking that was the helpful one. <laughs> I thought that, I thought it might uh,
0: make you make you do an oh, but I guess it did not.
1: Yeah, that is my trademark.
0: <laughs> I do I do that as well. When it clicks, it is natural <laughs> to say oh.
1: I'm nowhere. I'm nowhere at all okay. with this at the moment.
0: All right. All right. We'll go. We'll go on to clue four. Uh, but yeah, at I this can't point, even hazard a guess. At really. this point, listeners are yelling at you. I'm, I'm sure. Are and, they? Is but, it, is it, okay. Uh, right. When when it's not like some obscure fight. Uh, whatever. I don't want to say too much. But uh, there's no. I don't also would, would say there's no shame in not having gotten it yet. It's clearly the the right fighters are not quite crossing through your mind just yet. Perhaps clue four will cause that to happen. The loser, in this lightweight fight, came in with a record of 20-0 and and eventually retired at 29-5. The winner entered 67-5, suffered his own famous 14th round KO loss the next year, and retired 77-8. A
1: lightweight fight.
0: Yes, and and a title fight, as I had said earlier, so lightweight title on the line.
1: The challenger was it was his first title fight.
0: Right, challenger was twenty and 0 and challenging for a title for the first time and failed, but uh, succeeded in his next try seven months later. That was from the previous clue. Whereas the champion, who won, came in at sixty-seven and five, retired seventy-seven and eight, and uh, the detail that I thought might uh, might put you right so on track.
1: So the yeah. most famous. Sort of 1980s 14th round KO around that that I can think of is prior Arguello. Yes. But that wasn't lightweight. No, it was so not. Was that the, so was that the fight that... Okay, so Alexis Arguello
0: won this lightweight fight. You are, yes, yes. You just need to now figure out who his opponent was. A fellow Hall of Famer, although one who had to wait a while who came in at 20-0, failed against Arguello, but succeeded in his next title try seven months later. Don't make me go to Clue 5, Kieran.
1: You're going to have to go to Clue 5, Eric. Mm.
0: All right. Well, I've got half of them. I get half a point. <laughs> yes, you get half a point. You. So it, is, it is our Arguello Alexis Arguello KO-14 someone in defense of his title. And that okay. someone... I hope we'll become clear after clue five. Otherwise, we have uh, a new a new record something... for fut- <laughs> futility set. Um, all right, clue five. Of all the fights ever between a future politician in Nicaragua and a future <laughs> and a future producer of a documentary about Youngstown, this
1: has to be oh. the most famous. <laughs> Thank God for clue five. <laughs> there yes. will always be clue five. Boom boom. Yes, Alexis Arguello, Ray, boom, boom, KO, boom, boom.
0: fourteen, Ray Mancini, October third, nineteen eighty one. Yep, that's right. Then. Yeah.
1: Okay. Oof. They
0: were good clues, I thought. Uh, you just, you just. No, they it. were perfectly good clues. They were perfectly <laughs> valid. This, the the right the right fighters weren't uh, weren't coming into your uh, into your mind there. It just wasn't happening. Yeah. Yeah. Ah yeah. uh, well, at least at least clue five uh, got you across the finish line. Yeah, I actually didn't need to get alexis arguello on clue four because yeah they're, they're... right <laughs> it was basically right clue five is if you have heard of these fighters you will get it <laughs> yeah now if there's some like young listener who just started watching boxing who doesn't know that the most you know famous fighter from youngstown would be ray mancini or that elect who alexis arguello is then maybe clue five is no. not
1: helpful but right well then they're listening to the wrong podcast i, I mean we welcome so. we welcome young listeners yes,
0: yes. you got to start some
1: right but yes and you use this podcast as a jumping off place to go and like do some boxing history yes that's you know, that's what we like to say so yes that was very ageist of me actually you, you are listening <laughs> to the right podcast if you <laughs> haven't heard of alexis and great so there yes you go. all yeah. right <laughs> listeners of all okay. ages mm-hmm. all races all genders we welcome you Indeed, indeed. So not actually necessarily my most sterling effort there, actually, even though they were fine clues. I still feel the you know, the one that I'm still the most proud of mm-hmm. actually <laughs> was the one that took me like four goes to get because I nearly got it the first time round. You like your late round KOs. Your ko thirteen there of
0: um... yeah they're they're kind of fun because just knowing <laughs> yeah. what round it ends in tells you a little something about when it took place and uh, and all that so yes uh, yes they yeah. were actually well constructed clues
1: I will give you that they, Thank they they did but you know it just didn't help me much I wonder they... I wonder
0: if this is a record uh, in terms of two guys who fought each other who both ended up in the Hall of Fame, the a wreck 23 years apart that they were inducted. That I wonder if that's a record unless there was someone from, like, the old-timer category who, uh, you know, took forever to get in or something.
1: Yeah, and it kind of – and it makes sense because I was like, wow, really, that is a huge difference. Um, but I, I get it because I, I wonder if ultimately Boom Boom got in because it's a Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. you know, and, and – his 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 fame and popularity was always disproportionate to i mean he was a good champion but not a yeah. great one necessarily yeah and, uh, i and... mean
0: he is uh with no disrespect meant to ray boom, boom mancini he is among the first names people think of when they're pointing out someone who's in the hall of fame who is on the borderline and got in
1: right right So yeah uh, that, that totally makes sense all right anyway well, the thing I love about the fight game is we spend longer deconstructing our attempts <laughs> to win the fight game than we do actually on the game itself. But there you go. Right. It's, it's It keeps us happy. And we wonder why sometimes the podcast runs long. Cool. Anyway, um, <laughs> news time. Uh, we don't have much news to talk about this week. It often seems to be the case, actually, in the, the week prior to massive fight week, things get a bit quiet on the news yeah. front. Um uh, there were a couple of fights on Saturday night that we should mention. Uh, Sergey Bochuk put uh, Patrick Alotti, uh down face first um, in the, and for the count in the very first round in uh, Santa Inez, California. Uh, in Shawnee, Oklahoma, on ESPN, a uh, lightweight prospect. Keyshawn Davis dropped Francisco Patera in the eighth round, but was forced to go all 10 to run his record to 9-0 and with six KOs. And in the main event on that card, also in the lightweight division, George Cambosis returned to winning ways with a majority decision win over Maxi Hughes. But Eric, there was plenty of controversy about that with the R word getting thrown around a fair bit. You watched it, did it meet the R word standards and should Cambosos have actually lost his third in a row?
0: Ah, the R word. I have complicated feelings (laughs) about the R word in general. Um, The the last question you asked is the easy one to answer. Uh, Yes, Cambosos should have lost his third in a row. I had it seven rounds to five for Maxi Hughes, 115, 113, which I know sounds close enough that I shouldn't feel strongly about who won, mm. but as with Lomachenko versus Haney, and perhaps even more so with this fight, I do feel strongly about who won. I gave the majority of the close rounds to Cambosos and still had Hughes winning. Hughes outboxed him, plain and simple, landed more punches, landed better punches, the fact that Kambosos hadn't fought a southpaw in many years showed he, he was really struggling with Hughes' southpaw style and his counterpunching ability. And yes, it was close, but Hughes deserved to win. Uh, Mark Kriegel scoring it for ESPN had it 117-111 for Hughes. That's a bit of a reach, uh, but I think it's less of a reach than 115-113 for Kambosos, as one judge had it, and... 117-111 Kambosos, as Judge Joseph Mason had it, that's one of the all-time worst scorecards ever handed in. That's not just giving Kambosos all the close rounds, that's giving Kambosos at least a round or two that you can't really justify giving him if you're paying proper attention. Uh, so I'm going to say the name again, Joseph Mason. That is a scorecard so indefensible do not want to hear his name announced before a fight for a long time.
1: Never heard of him. Is that a consequence of having the fight in Shawnee, Oklahoma? Is it, he uh,
0: very well could be that this is a local inexperienced judge possible. I haven't looked at his track record. Um I will say with this now acting as his track record, it is a very bad yeah. track record and and mm. again, not that he should never get another chance, but you got to work your way back to meaningful fights after you hand in a card like that. Um the other cards as I said, I think it's bad, but it's feasible. Um, 114-114 is fine, I guess. But the end result, Cambosos gets a win, Hughes gets a loss. I'm sorry, that's the opposite of what it should be. So, yes, I am calling this a robbery. Um, This whole robbery thing has swung too far in the social media era. For a while, I was on board with the idea that it was a close fight. You can disagree with the decision, but you can't call it a robbery if it's close. But I feel like that that has now gotten trotted out so often that, look, there 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 are thousands of people scoring every fight on social media. You're always going to find someone who says, "I had Cambosos winning." I don't want to live in a world where just because one human agrees with the decision, I'm not allowed to call it a robbery. The the whole "you can't call it a robbery" thing has become overdone. Uh, now we're not allowed to call anything a robbery. So <laughs> screw that. There, there are close fights that are still robberies because enough people agree that the wrong guy got his hand raised. That was the case here. So it was close. I maybe could have lived with a draw. I cannot live with a loss on Maxie Hughes's record for this fight. So this was a robbery, in my view. Hughes got robbed, and uh, others can disagree with that assessment. But you will not
1: infringe upon my right to use the R word. Wow! And this is the only time I'll ever say this. You almost sound like a Fox News contributor there. <laughs> We're not even allowed to use this word anymore. Oh, no. and you're not going to infringe upon my right. Oh, I didn't realize I was
0: uh, <laughs> I was crossing into <laughs> that realm. I regret all of this. You know what? I'm uh, I'm editing a, I'm editing this whole segment out.
1: Never mind. the other R word, regret.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say another R word, one that uh, represents the opposite of a Democrat. Uh, which oh, is right, right. Really, yeah. really yeah. the offensive R word. But let's move <laughs> on. Before we, on because I did say we were we welcome all 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 people to listen to the show, and so probably not a good idea Except for me too. Yeah, right, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, now for the outside the ring news, uh, we have a few small items. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya appeared on Ariel Helwani's podcast this week and discussed his relationship with Ryan Garcia whom he said earned $30 million for his loss to Javante Davis, uh, unfortunately said the Hall of Famer he is no longer able to speak with Garcia directly as communication is being conducted through representatives as Garcia attempts to exit his contract with Golden Boy Promotions and the promoter attempts to enforce it. Speaking of De La Hoya, an HBO-produced two-part documentary about his life entitled Golden Boy begins streaming on Max on Monday. And Tyson Fury is getting the Netflix treatment in the form of a nine-part reality series called At Home with the Furies, which premieres on August 19th. ESPN announced that the Oleksandr Usyk-Daniel Dubois heavyweight title fight in Poland on August 26th will stream on ESPN+, Plus starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. It's not as perfect as an 8 a.m. fight like in a Fulton, <laughs> but 2 p.m. will do. We can live with that. Um, the rematch between Liam Smith and Chris Eubank Jr. has a new date, September 2nd, at the AO Arena in Manchester, and unified junior flyweight titlist Kenshiro Taraji will defend his belts against Heki Butler on September 18th in Tokyo, with Junko Nakatani defending his 115-pound belt against Argy Cortez in the co-main event. Anything catch your eye there, Kieran?
1: So I actually watched the screener of the Max documentary about Oscar, and I have to say it's very good. It's much better than I thought it would be. Mm. And what makes it strong is that Oscar is very raw and honest about his failings, particularly his drinking and his casual relationship with the truth at times. Uh, it, it's interesting to see. Um, and, and it's all really the strength of it is on uh, Oscar's uh, pieces to camera there. But mm. um Astral reality show about the Furies, that could be must avoid TV or can't miss train Wreck TV. I'm not certain, actually. I, I mentioned this to Sarah Jane, and she says she'll only watch it if Tommy and Molly are in it. So there you go. And if you've watched Love Island, you'll understand that. <laughs> I have not.
0: <laughs> I don't even know who Molly is, although I can connect It's some Tommy's dots. wife. Right. They met on the
1: show. And, okay. You know, it's all, oh, anyway, so it so. really was a Love Island. In that instance, it really was, actually. So there you go. Uh, And I I really like that Tokyo card. Uh, Butler's been around a while, and he's a solid contender, but that's going to be a tough ask for him. And uh, Cortez acquitted himself well in defeat to Juan Francisco Estrada a short while back. But holy moly, Nakatani looked absolutely sensational when he demolished poor Andrew Maloney in in, in May. Um, Other than that, a quiet week, which will definitely not be the case next week. (laughs) Right. All right finish it off it is time for this week's top five challenge uh, last week in advance of terence Crawford, errol spence you asked me to list my top five welterweight champions of all time and eric, eric i gotta tell you this was really really freaking tough um because there are so many contenders uh not for yeah. the number one position right. that was incredibly easy <laughs> yeah. and one of the easiest number ones of any list but Man, oh man, with so many champions over so many eras, many of them among the very greatest fighters in boxing history, this was tough. And in the end, I found myself a bit disappointed with myself because the list looks fairly conventional. And I thought, oh, there were times where I thought, oh, I can really shake this up here. And I didn't quite, but the list of honorable mentions is very long and there's even a top five of honorable mentions and if you wanted to take just about any of them and put them in your top five i wouldn't fuck for it i really struggled with who to put in at my number five but with mm. all that in mind here we go and the person who i did put in at number five kid gabban uh the cuban hawk um if not necessarily the inventor of the bolo punch, the popularizer of it. Mm -hmm. um, He was welterweight champion from 1951 to 1954, uh, during which time he made seven official defenses of the welterweight title. He won after Sugar Ray Robinson vacated, but in total fought 36 times in that span. Uh, He's one of the last guys to fight that much. Um, And he lost just once out of those 36 fights in a non-title affair. Even though he entered a post-title slide that saw him lose 15 of his final 26 bouts, He still compiled a career record of 108, 30, and 5. There are many contenders for the fourth and fifth spots on this list. It was almost coin flip between him and some others who I will mention soon. But for me, on balance, he just ekes it out and gets on this list.
0: Yeah, I had sort of a similar divide where I felt like I felt good about the top four and then really could struggle to pick someone for number five, basically between half a dozen different contenders. I ultimately did not pick anyone because it's not my list. I was like, eh, screw it. you know, I think uh. I know <laughs> I think I know who I'm right. leaning to here." And yeah. uh, it was not Kid Gavilan. He was in that group. He was probably not the one that I would have picked. Um but again, they're, and I don't want to say any of the names, just in case any of them are in your top four and we have some, some difference here, but probably mm-hmm. they're all among your honorable mentions and yeah. they really are. It, it's really tight for that five spot. Kid Gamble, it really is certainly a, a
1: legit choice there. Number four. Boy, no pick was actually ultimately harder for me to settle on having said how hard number five was than this. I put Floyd Mayweather Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, my first thought when you first assigned me this was that he was a shoe in but then closer examination of his record at 147 pounds and you, you were quite specific this was about what they did at welterweight not right. at other weights that gave me some pause here is his sum total at welterweight wins over sean bay mitchell Zab judah carlos baldemir ricky hatton juan manuel marquez shane mosley victor ortiz robert guerrero marcus madana twice Manny Pacquiao and Andre Berto. There are some great names in there, notably Pacquiao and Mosley. Judah and Hatton are good wins too, but Mm -hmm. otherwise it isn't necessarily a murderer's row and Mosley and Pacquiao, you could make the case, were slightly past their best. Although Pacquiao, what Pacquiao did subsequently suggests that, you know, maybe not. Um, You know, what struck out, what's really, I I realized was that if you were to list Mayweather's top five wins, the Pacquiao one might be the only one from Welterweight um yeah Miguel Cotto was 154 Canelo and Oscar were also 154 and then of course he had some great wins at 130 including Diego Corrales right um but here's the thing I'm going to talk a little bit about this actually because it's kind of interesting when it comes to nitpicking opposition for lists like this modern boxers are at a disadvantage um some of the old timers also also you know uh uh picked opposition somewhat favorably but we're just less knowledgeable about the nuances of that and right. we just go by the records and accomplishments if we just go by records and accomplishments we see that Mayweather be three present or future hall of famers at 147 pounds and that's pretty darn good right um and then there's another thing in contrast where modern boxers have an advantage I know what I saw and throughout his career, I saw a man who was so far ahead of his peers that he could barely be touched. People still talk about that mostly fight because Shane landed two right hands in round two. That's it. <laughs> right. Maidana um, right, won four rounds in their first fight, which was considered such a superhuman effort. He got himself a rematch. Yeah. Um, Mayweather wasn't the best welterweight of all time, but relative to his contemporaries, he was light years ahead. Um, and even factoring in periods of quote unquote retirement, he was clearly at worst one of the two best in the division for close to a decade, and that's saying something so i t- I went back and forth on this, but in the end, I felt comfortable with saying that Floyd Mayweather is in at number four I have Floyd Mayweather at
0: number four myself and, oh, I, how about and, that? <laughs> and, and very well said on your part some of the some of the reasoning behind uh why. He should not be left off this list, uh, even if you're loath to include modern guys because you think all the old timers are better. Don't don't do that to Floyd Mayweather. His his record at welterweight is quite outstanding. I, I You're right to point out that he doesn't have the quality of great wins of some of the guys uh, that, that are in this discussion. But the quantity of very good wins at welterweight is strong for floyd and uh yeah I, i think fourth is the right spot for him
1: uh at three i put sugar ray leonard um and i actually surprisingly found myself with some of the same questions about him as mayweather specifically um the relative paucity of big wins at welterweight which is surprising really um simply because his his initial career was abbreviated through no fault of his own um but the quality of the opposition he faced in those few years that he was at the top of the 147-pound division was remarkable. Um, notably, of course, he beat three men who are not just Hall of Famers, but legitimate all-time greats. Yeah. Um, he won the lineal title by beating Wilfred Benitez, who is the fifth Beatle, as it were, uh, to the Four Kings. Destroyed Davey Boy Green in his first defense. Then, yeah, okay, he lost to Roberto Duran, but a uh, Dur- Duran, who'd lost just once in his... 70-some contests at that point and is arguably one of the top half dozen fighters of all time and then he destroyed him mentally in the rematch and then of course he had that tremendous classic come from behind win over tommy hearns it was relatively brief but it was spectacular honestly it would be hard to argue the case that he wouldn't have beaten mayweather or pacquiao or virtually any of the other welterweights who have come since didn't take care of himself remotely as well as Mayweather, and had he done so, and had he also not had retina problems, he might have been even greater. But for that period, he was so good, he deserves to be on this list. I'm glad we ultimately landed on a different
0: choice for number five because our lists are clearly (laughs) going to be identical from four through one. This was the question mark of whether you – after we agreed on Mayweather, whether you might flip-flop three and two with me. But uh, no, you made the right choice here. Sugar Ray Leonard at number three, I believe, is is the correct spot. Um, You know, it's just – it's really interesting to sort of step back and compare him to Floyd. Um, And, Mm. you know – I've always said I, I would pick Ray to win head-to-head, prime versus prime, uh, and I and I still feel that way. Um, their welterweight reigns are 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 pretty close. We both gave yeah. Leonard the edge, but you can make a case because Ray's reign at welterweight was was relatively brief. You could make a case to flip yeah. these two, and and it does just get me thinking that I really can't object to people who rank Floyd over Ro- Ray overall career-wise because you know when you add in what mayweather did at 130 135 140 154 the longevity all that you know i I, ray leonard greater welterweight i give him a slight edge but overall greater career if you want to make the case for floyd uh i kind of have to concede that if, if that you you can you can make that
1: case pretty darn convincingly yeah and once i'd you know, said no it's perfectly correct to put Floyd on this list I did the other battle that I had was whether to flip Ray and, and Floyd and I yeah. kind of went back and forth mm-hmm. quite a bit on that yeah. it is close actually which surprised me I think right. it's probably not what I would have thought going into this but right. anyway all right number two I put Henry Armstrong mm-hmm. um, once again there are questions to be asked even of the great Hammer and Hank and those questions concern exactly again how many great fighters he beat at welterweight Many of his welterweight defenses were below 147 pounds and against men who, like him, were really lightweights. But here's the thing. He won the welterweight title from the great Barney Ross, stepping up from featherweight before stepping down to lightweight uh, and then bouncing back up to 147. Uh, And his title reign, which lasted from 1938 to 1940, saw him make an incredible 18 (laughs) successful defenses in two years. (laughs) Wow. And, and I was struck by a line by, I was, you know, looking at other people's lists, obviously, as part of the research. And, and I was looking at one that Cliff Roll did about 13 years ago. And, and it reminded me of what my task was here. It was the greatest welterweight champions. And Roll pointed out, he said, you know, Hammer and Hank probably wasn't one the greatest welterweight of all time. But he might have been the greatest welterweight mm. champion. Mm. Uh, 18 defenses, In two years, however you slice it's pretty damn impressive. And that's why Hammer and Hank, one of the very greatest fighters of all time, is also, I think, one of the greatest welterweight champions.
0: Yeah, I have him at number two, obviously, as well. And while he was making those 18 successful welterweight defenses in two years, he was also finding time to play around in other divisions and and work in other fights. (laughs) I honestly think, looking back at his record in, in researching this, His run from 1937 to 40 has a case as the greatest three years any boxer has ever put together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, number one, Victor Ortiz. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Love you, Victor. Uh, It is, of course, Sugar Ray Robinson. Um, There was no debate here, no discussion, no second guessing. Um, Robinson was world champion from 1946 to 1950, and he might have become champion earlier had Freddie Cochran, the defending champion, not been fighting in in World War II. But whatever. As it is, his reign was impressive by the numbers alone. Uh, When he fully abandoned the division to concentrate on campaigning at middleweight, his record was 110 one and two and that one was at middleweight <laughs> against Jake take um more than that though you know much like mayweather it wasn't just the numbers it was the issue of how he won the fights that he did more footage exists of robinson at 160 than at 147 and if we consider by the time he was a full-time middleweight his best days were behind him and just extrapolate from there look, that just isn't a discussion sugar ray robinson was the greatest boxer of all time, and he was at his best at welterweight. Sugar Ray Robinson was the greatest welterweight of all time.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Uh, just the perfect fighting machine in his prime. Offense, defense, skill, power, he he had it all. And um, I almost said this early in the podcast, but I didn't want to get into any potential spoiler territory for this list. But when we were talking about Spence and Crawford and whether the winner can end up maybe someday with a case for the top five i'm glad that we both sort of landed where we landed because what they are fighting for is to maybe have a case for number five someday yeah. like the the they're just they're not going to crack this top four it's just not realistic there is a little gap between four and the rest of the list and it's yeah. uh, it's possible that someday whoever wins that fight uh, with a few more great wins after that or something becomes an all-time top five exactly at number five welterweight but uh exactly. so um yeah so let me hear some of your uh, other guys that you that you considered for number five and other honorable mentions and such
1: so my so my top five honorable mentions and it honestly pained me to leave all of these guys off the list emil griffith mm-hmm. jose napolis mm-hmm um really pained me to leave him off the list. I he, he might have been the closest of all of them to being my number 5. Barney Ross. Um mm-hmm. uh, that might have been your number 5 I'm guessing. No, it um, was
0: I, I actually I ended up leaning toward Emil Griffith when all was said okay. and done, but but I keep mm-hmm, cuz this is the exact group of names yep. that I was considering for that five spot. There's yep. I, and yep. I've still I've got one more you haven't said yet, uh, but maybe Jimmy you're McClellan. about to say it. Oh no, he was not it. All right, hey, we disagreed on something a little bit. Uh, Got one
1: more, um, Uh which is uh, Barbados Joe Walcott, um, and obviously not a guy I saw fight at all, or you're really going by you know sort of contemporary discussions there. But um, he, you know, he was the other one that 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 based on record alone was was in the my top of my honorable mentions. And then there's like a second level of honorable mentions where I've got. Mickey Walker, Ted Kidd-Lewis, Jack Britton, um, and Manny Pacquiao. And then you've got other guys who have had terrific um, careers. You wouldn't put them in the top five, but, uh, well, one you might. Uh, I put Thomas Hearns, Felix Trinidad, Oscar De La Hoya, Carmen Basilio, Benny Perrette, Pernell Whitaker. Uh, and the list could continue to go on and on and <laughs> on. I'm sure I haven't completely missed somebody from your list. Have I? Or... No, you've, you've mentioned
0: everyone who was anywhere on my list. The, the only thing, I was... I thought that Manny Pacquiao was worthy of that consideration in okay. that next group beyond of the second 5 sort of he was another one who I felt uh lumped in there was, you know he's only 13 and 5 officially at the weight which doesn't sound great there were some questionable decisions in both directions <laughs> mi- yep. mixed in there um but just the the sheer number the, you know to have beaten at welterweight Oscar Cotto Mosley Marquez yeah. Bradley Thurman among others it's 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 a run that I think lumps him in adequately with that second group of five and yeah. um, and and pernell whitaker i was thinking could also maybe be in, uh-huh. uh, in that top 10 uh group uh, just for the performance as a welterweight against chavez um, but uh, but yeah. really he he was post prime by the time uh, he got to 147 himself so probably does not quite crack the top five or maybe not even the top 10 and and the one other thing i'll note i was just sort of surprised looking at tommy hearns's record as great as he was only really had two major fights at welterweight KO two yeah. to Pino Cuevas to win the title and KO by 14 against Ray Leonard. So I think he's someone that people on gut think about as a borderline top five, certainly top 10 kind of welterweight, but he doesn't really have the track record to crack the, even the top 10 in my view.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because Tommy's the kind of guy who I imagine like of all the, the very good welterweights that have gone before, I feel like he would have been the biggest nightmare for Floyd. Like I just think, for example, stylistically, he would have, I just think he would have beaten the shit out of him. But like you said, the the, the task was great welterweight champions. And I think Tommy was a very good welterweight who just didn't have the chance to be a great welterweight champion. But um, there's a distinction, which I think is interesting, actually.
0: Yeah. And... um... I, I, I've heard that sort of thing before that, uh, that that Thomas Hearns is sort of the guy that you point to for who what Welterweight could have beaten X or Y or whoever yeah. and that, that Hearns is sort of the the perfect weapon to beat most of them and I guess that then sort of hammers home why we both like Sugar A. Leonard at number three is that he actually mm. did defeat well, it wasn't easy but he did defeat Tommy Hearns yeah. at Welterweight and uh, that's the, the kind of thing he has on his resume that, that Floyd Mayweather does not quite
1: But I think it's interesting that I really struggled with this list. It was really difficult. We had the top four exactly the same. Yeah, well,
0: that's just proof that 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 is the correct
1: top four. We both agree. uh, Beyond
0: beyond number four, do whatever the hell you want. But
1: these are the top (laughs) four, at least. Exactly. All right. That will do it for this week's first edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back on Thursday and Friday from Las Vegas uh, with previews of Spence Crawford and hopefully plenty of guests to interview. And then we will be back again on Saturday night with our immediate post-fight reaction. In the meantime, do prepare yourself for the upcoming fight by watching all of All Access Spence versus Crawford, which is available on all Showtime digital and streaming platforms. It all builds up to the pay-per-view card itself, which fans on the east coast will be delighted to learn starts at 8 p.m eastern that's 5 p.m pacific on saturday we can't wait i'm sure you can't wait either you only have a few days to wait until you get to hear from us again lucky you mm-hmm. so we will be back on thursday thanks very much for listening Thank you.